This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Another beautiful fall day. Hopefully this continues in through the weekend. I think it's supposed to. Uh, Anyway, uh, do enjoy it if you get a chance uh, because we know what's coming, don't we? We know. Well, this year marked the 30th anniversary of the Commercial Cod Moratorium. Just 43 years after joining Confederation and in one single federal government announcement, an entire industry was shut down overnight and tens of thousands of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians thrown out of work. It's been called the largest layoff in Canadian history and its cultural and economic blow, which has changed this place forever and from which the province is still trying to recover. It uh, launched, of course, a huge exodus from the province and sounded the death knell for a number of rural communities. In many cases, towns have survived, but it's been difficult. Well, a new documentary film was officially launched this week at Memorial University, The Village at the End of the Road is about the town of Beta Verde. It's the work of American filmmaker Dennis Lanson and anthropologist George Gmelsh. And we have Lanson with us now. Hello. Hi, how are you, Linda? Great. So congratulations on the launch of your film. Thank you very much. You attended that uh, last night, was it, in at Memorial? Uh, the night before last, yeah. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, so uh, how did it go? What was the reception like? Uh, the reception was terrific. Uh, there were a lot of people in the audience. It was a good audience. There were a lot of people in the audience who were from Beta Verde, many of whom who had, uh, many of whom came from there, but were now living in St. John's. And uh, uh, it was kind of amazing. Over the over the end credits, there's the song "Great Foggy Day," which you may know or not. Eddie Coffey, and everybody knew it, and they were all started singing along, which was amazing to me. Oh, of course, we all know that. That's uh, well-known here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you come well, from? How did you get involved in filmmaking? Oh, well, I've been involved in filmmaking since I'm a kid, practically. Um, I worked in the film industry for a bit, and then I went to grad school uh, in New York at Columbia and um, made mostly documentaries in one feature, uh, I just loved the medium. You know, at the time, it was the place to place to go. Maybe now it's computer science. I don't know. But uh, uh, it was just, just kind of thrilling to be able to show up with a camera and and, uh, and document what's going on, get to, get to uh, know a group of people without imposing too much on that group of people. Um, so it's been fun. I've worked as an editor as well, and... Uh, I just enjoy everything about that industry. I've noticed that a lot of your work seems to center around um, uh, human stories, industries, work, uh, dying traditions, those kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about your work to date. Yeah, well, I um, I did, uh, when I was in film school, I did a story about McDonald's hamburgers. So it was a fake documentary. Yes, I always wanted to make documentaries. Uh, and um, starring uh, supposedly Ray Kroc, who was my father. And uh, and uh, then went ahead and did a film on uh, Vietnamese refugees, uh, family, large family, and then uh, about a group of uranium miners in Wyoming 
which is in some ways quite similar to what we were doing in Beta Verde in terms of a fairly remote community uh, where it was about work, work and place. Uh, and more recently, I've done a film on uh, on some people in Gloucester, Mass., which is where I've been for many years, uh, who are building organs, and they put an organ in uh, Harvard University. So I, I documented that process, and more recently, uh, a film about the migrants in Mexico. Uh, I'm retired now, and so I've moved down to Mexico, and uh, uh, so I did a film about that, and uh, what else? did a film about a Jewish myth of the 36 just souls. So that's my private work. And, and otherwise, I've mostly made my money through uh, teaching at the college level, teaching film and video. So a uh, lot of the stories that you tell or the documents that you're, you're, you're collecting, I guess, relates to very human experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what interests me, work, culture, place. And... Um, you know, to try to get inside a culture. A culture could be anything. It could be a group of firemen in a firehouse. It could be a community like Beta Verde. Um, it could be virtually anything, you know, where people are on the same page about something, whether it's about being in the same place or doing the same kind of work or having the same sorts of interests as a group. So uh, that interests me. And, and that's got anthropological aspects. And George Gmelch, who invited me into this project, actually, he was up here doing work with the On the Move project, OTM, which came out of Munn. And he said, well, I like the films you've made. Why don't you come up and uh, why don't we talk about this one? And that's how I came into the project. And uh, I've been working more as as a filmmaker, I've been shooting, I've been editing, I've been directing, and, but he did the research, he did the interviews, and he uh, he produced it, he helped bring our money together. So uh, it's very very much a joint effort, and uh, I, both our names are on the film. I want to ask you a little bit more about George's involvement when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is American filmmaker Dennis Lanson. He's behind uh, The Village at the End of the Road, the story of Beta Verde, really. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. We're speaking with American filmmaker Dennis Lanson, who is behind The Village at the End of the Road. It's a story about Beatty Verd, but it's it really tells a story, a much larger kind of story about uh, rural communities and how they are surviving uh, in this uh, topsy-turvy world we're living in. And uh, uh, Dennis, you, you mentioned that anthropologist George Gmelsch is the one who originally brought Beatty Verd to your attention. How did that come about? Well, I know George, basically, uh, my cousin was a student of his at uh, at uh, Union College, uh, and I showed films in his class a few times. But George first came to Newfoundland in the 70s, and um, I think he was studying here. He was doing research here. I believe he was studying at Munn, and then came back more recently uh, in the early 2000s to work with this On the Move project. A woman named Barb Neese is running it. It was a multimillion-dollar project studying mobile work in um, or rotational work in um, 
in Newfoundland or maybe throughout Canada. I'm not sure. But it's definitely Newfoundland. The whole idea, which goes back to the moratorium, really, is that the fishing work dried up, times changed, and the only way to stay here and stay solvent was to work away in, uh, uh, you know, offshore oil rigs or out in the tar sands in Alberta or on hydroelectric projects in various places. People uh, from this area flying out rotating back after 28 or 14 or 35 days and then being home. So constantly going back and forth, which is a big strain on, on families and relationships. Um, that seemed to be one possible solution to what happened once the cod industry failed. Uh, a lot of things changed as a result. So um, George was studying that and working with this project, and he said, well, Let's uh, let's look at this town. Well, we didn't start with the town, but we said, let's look at the situation. And then we found Beta Verde and thought that, you know, it, it kind of made sense to locate everything in one community rather than try to be too general. And um, and it was great working up there. I mean, the people we work with were like family, uh, incredibly friendly and incredibly helpful in every respect. And uh, we formed some strong relationships, actually with um, really decent people. Had you ever been to Newfoundland before this project? I hadn't. And you know what? I mean, the way I got into this project, I wanted to see the place. And, uh, and uh, you know, after five years of work with minimal payment, you know, uh, here we are. And, uh, and, and I feel connected to this place in a way that I never expected possible. What was your uh, first impression of Bay Divert? I think all of us have that same feeling coming down through the rock cut there and down over that steep hill and just right. having right. that feeling of nerves. It's almost like being on a on a roller coaster, but you don't know where this is going to go. And then suddenly you right. see the community before you. Well, breathtakingly beautiful. The landscape is uh, something I've never seen anywhere before. And I've traveled quite a bit. Um, Remote, a sense of remoteness, and uh, no real idea of where we were going to go with it. And very quickly, as we got to know people, um, it became a little more homelike. We started with another film. We started with a film about an anthropologist who had done a year's um, field work in Beta Verde. He was an Estonian national, and he uh, they took him out fishing, and he... He studied the town and got to know people, got friendly with the people, and they with him um, threw up every time he went out on a fishing boat, but kept doing it. Uh, so we started with that film, and that's about half an hour long. And then, and then the original film, which was this one we just finished, kicked in after that, and uh, we had assembled material for it. So we've been working on it for over five years. That's dedication to your work, <laughs> to, to be going out yeah. every day on, or, or every time on a boat uh, to to study what's going on and throwing up every single time. Well, I got a lot of respect because I didn't uh, I didn't get sick on board. I don't know how, but that seemed to be a, a measure of something. I don't know. <laughs> so it took five years to film this. Why so long? Well, not really. I mean, we were up for a few weeks over the course of, well, let's see, 17, 18, 19. Then came the pandemic, and I uh, was stuck in editing. So it's not like it sounds, but what was nice about it was 
especially in the case of one of the characters, which is a young woman who was graduating high school then and is now on the verge uh, of graduating from Mun. So this is a story of somebody who started in an outport, moved to the city, had a different take on life, was very connected to her her home and family in the outport, but saw that there's really not much opportunity there for young people, and that's part of the problem. Young people are bailing out there. There's nothing for them there. Um, but other than a strong feeling for family in place. So what happens? Uh, now she's looking at the possibility of leaving the province, which is, for her, difficult, but um, you know, possibly necessary. She wants to get into academics. Which is a big, big step from sure. uh, Lowport. And uh, you're talking about her like, like she's your niece or your daughter. Uh, it feels that way. It really does feel that way. Uh, yeah, a lot of fondness for all of these people. I have to say, uh, and I think it's it's a two way street too. I mean, certainly based on these two str- on the screening we did in Betaverd, which was the first. Um, you know, people. People were locked in. They said, yeah, how wonderful. Somebody's looking at our lives and uh, seeing it and uh, giving it some credence, you know. I'm not sure how to express that. But. Did you stay yeah. in Beta Verde while there? We stayed up there. There's, uh, there's, uh, one of our subjects runs the only only uh, B&B in Beta Verde, the only kind of accommodation of any kind, and we stayed there. Every time we went up, and uh, and it was fun. I I really think they they need to grow a bit. I think the town needs a restaurant or a bar or something, you know, a place where people can gather. But uh, that may come in the future. There's a guy up there who's starting a brewery, and uh, the, the town needs something besides the fishing industry um, to look to the future, uh, tourism perhaps. Um, you know, people say it's a bit off the main mainstream, but um, I could see people going up there if they had a reason to, you know, other than maybe just hiking. Well, years ago, uh, you know, when people used to go on Sunday drives, that was the big thing. Uh, my family comes from the Carboneer area, so we take a drive around the belt, as they used to call it. And, you know, it, yeah. there used to be a couple of little restaurants along the way, but they slowly all kind of died off, and they're usually seasonal in nature and that sort of thing. But you're right. There should be a little restaurant or cafe or something there uh, to give people a reason. Not a, There isn't a reason already to stop off and have a look around because Beatty Verde is absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous, but um, just to right. stay a while. Right. And I, I think it will come, you know, over time. Um, I, I hope it does, you know, because the alternative is to just move the whole town, which has happened in other places. There's a fish plant there, and that is what's keeping the place alive. Oh, for sure. And they've done a lot of uh, work there. Despite having suffered the big blow, the big fire, were you there for that? I wasn't there for that. That was some years ago, right? But that was, uh, and and I was I was um, told that the return on that was very very quick. The Quinlan brothers, whose whose plant it is, uh, managed to uh, replace that plant in very short order. Um, so good for the community if that happened. But right now, you know, um, there are not many young people in the town anymore. They're hiring. Thai workers to uh, who make up most of the workforce in the plant, 
but the plant allows the, the fishermen that remain there to keep going. So, I mean, the story's not finished, but um, uh, it's not completely told. It's not. It's it's hard to know how things will go, and I think it'd be interesting to come back in five years from now and see how things are going and how they're changing. And there was a woman at the screening the other night who was from Beta Verde, and she said, "I just want to say that." Um, People from Beta Verde have spread out in a diaspora. They've gone all over the world. They've become all kinds of things, lawyers, doctors, businessmen, you know, and uh, she, it was kind of local patriotism, but she felt that the people of this town had made some sort of mark in the world at large. So that was it was moving to hear her say that. And the history goes back so far. Hundreds of years, right? Hundreds. Four or five hundred years. Yeah. yeah. You must have gotten to know a lot of people along the way. You, I mean, you're talking about some of the, the subjects of your film in, in very warm, uh, kind of uh, glowing ways. You must have gotten to know them all on a very intimate level. Well, I mean, people say that Newfoundlanders are, are, are very welcoming people and friendly people, and I certainly found that to be true. I don't know whether it's just with foreigners or whether it's with their, each other, but uh, I've certainly uh, enjoyed the times we've spent together. There's a sort of welcoming quality. There's a, you know, people are not so filtered. You know, it's just like, here I am, here you are. You know, let's get to know each other. And that's unusual. That's unusual. Um, for me, coming from the States, coming from uh, urban, suburban areas, you know, you don't see much of that. And that's very true. Um, you, you know, you do get that uh, reservation, if you will, from people who don't know you, that suspicion almost. And, um, uh, I, 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 you know, we often talk about it here in Newfoundland. Uh, you know, people are very refreshed by the way people are, you know, just uh, you are who you, you see before you. <laughs> right. And, you know, I haven't seen that play come from away, but... Uh... You know, I, I, I gather that, that that some of those themes are in there as well. And with uh, people who came at 9-11, they wanted to buy houses until it got to be winter and they sold them. <laughs> <laughs> in Gander in the winter, and I've lived through that too. Um, our guest today on On Target is American filmmaker Dennis Lanson. He's behind The Village at the End of the Road. It's a story about Beatty Verd. We'll be back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is American filmmaker Dennis Lanson, and he's behind The Village at the End of the Road, a work uh, between he and anthropologist George Gemelch. And um, uh, did you learn anything uh, making this film? I'm sure you learned things making films all along the way, but anything that you weren't expecting? That I wasn't expecting. Um, well, I mean, the way this film has worked out is we've just looked into a number of lives. So there was nothing other than the, than, than the friendliness and accessibility of people, which I didn't know anything about or expect. I, I don't think there were that many surprises. I learned about fishing, went out a couple of times with the, in a, on, on fishing boats, and uh, that was that was exciting. I enjoyed that. Um, I learned about anthropology a bit because I knew very little about it, um, and and so in the in the process of 
documenting what this young Estonian man was was doing, uh, I learned a little bit about that field. Um, I, I don't know really how to answer that question any more fully. No, but, I've got uh, it. <laughs> um, it's always an adventure, you know. I mean, it's it's just it's it's a party. It's a journey. That's that's what I love about filmmaking. For sure. Uh, did this project differ at all from other projects that you've worked on in terms of uh, you know your uh, your approach or or just uh, I mean obviously well, the, COVID had an impact. Right. Yeah. Well, the ideal approach to me, I come from a place which is maybe not so prevalent anymore. It used to be called cinema verite or direct cinema, where you don't, you're not in there to be a voice of God. You're in there to just be a fly on the wall and see what's going on and getting real people saying real things and then putting it together as uh, with as much integrity as possible. So... Uh, that's where I came from, and it was very it's very easy and satisfying out in Wyoming when I worked on the um, uh, when I worked on the uranium mining film. It's a little more difficult because I think people were defensive about about the industry, uh, certainly the people who had any power, the people who were running the open pit mines out there. So that was a bit of a struggle, a pushback against them and against uh, uh, coal mining people there because there was coal mining in the area as well. An earlier film about a Vietnamese family uh, was hampered by the fact that uh, it was from such different cultures and so little understanding between our language and theirs. I was I was shooting stuff. I had no idea what it was. I had no translator or no knowledge of Vietnamese and just hoping for the best and getting the translation later. So, you know, every situation is different. Um, I, I did find that the Vietnamese people were very open in terms of acting for the camera. They were not aware of the camera, whereas in, in Wyoming, even the people we were friendly with uh, wanted to engage us. They didn't want to ignore us. And I found here in, in Newfoundland that uh, while we had our own relationships, they were perfectly happy to just go on uh, as though we weren't there when we were filming. We mentioned that. And, uh, you know, if we wanted to talk afterwards, then we would. But there wasn't this constant contact with the camera and conversation with the camera, which was helpful in terms of the kind of uh, filmmaking we were trying to do. Yeah, it, um, you know, you're not so aware of that third wall or whatever they call it, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, uh, right. But uh, is it important you're, when you were talking about the Wyoming situation in in particular, you know, do you find yourself going into some of these projects and going, oh, wow, I've just walked into a bit of a, a political mine escape here. Um, is it important yeah. to know some of the politics surrounding certain uh, areas and and interactions? I think so in general, yes. And, of course, you know, in Mexico, there's always a sort of a threat because the migrants were not welcome. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it differs from, from project to project. Um, but there wasn't, there wasn't that kind of... Uh, there was no kind of heaviness in, in what we were doing out in Beta Verde. It made it more... Uh, more like an adventure and less, you know, there was no threat of any kind. I was surprised that there was, you, you ask if I was surprised. I was surprised that there was so little suspicion of us coming in there with our cameras. And I think the groundwork was laid by, by George, who knew the community, 
going in without a camera and by the the young anthropologist who had been there for a year and was had been accepted by the community. That certainly helped. I I, I can't help but think about this. It's three years, uh, sorry, three decades on from the from the moratorium. And of course, we're still feeling very profoundly the effects. There's a whole generation has grown up without right. knowing anything about the fishery. Um, right. But it still looms large. And it, it puts me in mind of, you know, walking into a home or a room where you know uh, someone in the family has suffered a huge loss. So there's a death. Right. And you can feel that absence when you walk into a room, um, even if you didn't know what the circumstances were. Did you feel sort of the ghost of the moratorium as you were going about your business? No question about it. And, you know, for these people, it hasn't gone away. I met a couple people in St. John's. I'm there right now. Uh, I met a couple people in St. John's who see themselves as, you know, pretty sophisticated because it is the city of Newfoundland and, and you know, and who would say, oh, well, the moratorium, that's ancient history. That's th- Now it's 30 years ago. They're saying 25 years ago. But to the people that they'd avert, it's not ancient history. It changed their lives totally. And, and it's in the film, and the guy is saying, I lost friends. They had to move away. If I hadn't got the crab business going, if I hadn't gotten a license and gotten my boat going, I'd be out on the prairies myself now. There was no other option. And I had people who were choking up when they talked about 92. 30 years down the line, nearly 30 years down the line. So it's very, very much uh, a part of the lives of of the fishermen who were, you know, of the older people who were doing caught at the time. And, and it's been passed along to their kids, and it goes back, of course, generations. So it's uh, it's essential. It's it, it's a turning point, and uh, it still hasn't been really worked out. I mean, it's it's. I tell you, something that really interests me would be doing a series of films about rural communities around the world and across cultures where traditional ways of life are just no longer possible. And and that was that's that's the underlying theme of what was what we were trying to do in uh, in making this film. Right. So while it's very specific to Newfoundland, but it, it can be applied to many different parts of the world. I think so. You know, I mean, uh, it, not just rural either. What about a factory where jobs have been outsourced and people are who are proud of their work are now working in, you know, McDonald's or, or Walmarts or something because they have no options. You know, what about another fishery, say, in Indonesia or something with their own set of own set of issues and 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 problems i mean here you have um you have corporate ships that are scooping up vast quantities uh really depriving the local fishery of of its catch you know taking the catch away processing it and then sending it back you know so that sort of thing is happening all over the world because it's just, in, you know, I, I'm not even sure I can take a political stance on that. It's just the world has changed, and this is what's happening. But it's many films have been made about small farms, you know, small farmers who have to go bankrupt or sell out because agribusiness has taken over their income after generations of of small farmers it's it's a pride it's something that's in the family you know that whole idea of a family business doesn't exist in the way it used to 
And it's, it tells a larger story, doesn't it, about stewardship and management and, and, and the environment? Exactly. Well, environmental environmental issues are a big part of it. Of course, a couple of degrees of warming in the water, where do the fish go? Somewhere else to find the colder water they, they need and like. So, um, yes, it's an environmental question as well, very much so. Did you know much about the, the moratorium and the politics leading up to it uh, before you started telling the story? Not really. George knew because uh, he's he's been really tapped into Newfoundland since he first came. And he's, uh, he's a very active anthropologist. He studied Irish travelers and people in Barbados and Tasmania. He's been all over the world studying various cultures, including business cultures like the wine industry in California or tourism. Uh, so he was he was well aware of uh, the moratorium. But I have to say, I, I wasn't. I came into the pro- project as, as a filmmaker, and I learned about it uh, on the run, really. But I was struck by the fact that a number of the fishermen we talked to were, were really, literally in tears talking about the changes that happened in 92. So much frustration, so much anger still to this day uh, oh, about, uh, you know, um, Newfoundland having been a dominion of its own uh, joining confederation. And within just a few decades, right. um, our our whole staple was gone through mismanagement. Yeah. Anger at the government, mismanagement of the fishery, definitely. Yeah. It's a combination of factors, but... Uh, I don't see it as I don't see it as the fault of a small family business, of, of of you know one guy going out in a small boat and catching enough to feed his family and maybe sell some, so other people can be fed. So, yeah, I mean it's especially in that town, it it the issue has certainly remained in the forefront, and that's in the film. So five years working on this, the the launch was this week. Uh, what's it like for a filmmaker to sit down now and among an audience and to and to watch this the fruits of your labor on a screen? Are you satisfied with how it came out? Oh, it's tremendously satisfying. As I said in the beginning, you know, when I heard those people singing along with the credits, I knew <laughs> that for that evening anyway, you know, I had a hit. You know, they, they people said really nice things, and the people who said the really nice things were the people that I want to hear the really nice things from, and they're the people who have lived it. You know, that's that's the key. If the people you're making the film about feel it's accurate and true, then then it's a success. Apart from uh, where it's shown or the money it makes or anything like that, so. And yeah, when do you know right. is is the right time to to let this baby go? When do you know that that it's complete now? Because I mean, really, you could be working on it forever. You know what I'm saying? Well, but when do you yeah. know that it's free to go? <laughs> well, for this one, what I was trying to do was just tell some some capsule stories. It's a series of portraits. This film, really, with a little bit of history thrown in at the beginning about the moratorium and about the history of Newfoundland. Uh, so when I completed the portraits, I knew I was done. Uh, obviously, you can go on forever, but uh, you kind of know. There comes a point where you're starting to spend your time, you know, fixing a couple of frames here and there, and you know you're you're just 
kind of losing it. You know, you're finished. There's nothing else to do. Our guest today on On Target is American filmmaker um, Dennis Lanson. He is behind Village at the End of the Road, this uh, story about Beatty Bird. And we'll be back right after this. And when we come back, Dennis, I want to ask you about what's next on your agenda, your creative agenda, when we come back right after this. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM filmmaker Dennis Lanson about The Village at the End of the Road, a film he's put together about Beatty Verd with uh, the help of anthropologist George Gemelch. And um, you mentioned off the top there, Dennis, that uh, you're retired and living in Mexico. Uh, are you thinking about your next project or will something have to sort of fall in your lap? Well, a little bit of both. Um, what I'd like more than anything else, uh, Linda, would be uh, to uh, do a series of films for a network uh, for, for a place like Netflix that duplicate what happened with Village at the End of the Road. And as I said before, rural places around the world um, who are impacted by the changes in the 21st century and uh, in similar ways, not, not exactly the same industry, but in similar ways where their traditions are being threatened and how they might look to the future where they can save their traditional life in a new way. Uh, I think there are many, many examples of that. I would have to do the research, but I'd like to put together a proposal for something like that and then use Village at the End of the Road as a template, perhaps, uh, for what's going on elsewhere around the planet. So that's a bit of a dream. And otherwise, in the near run, I'm I'm working with an old compatriot, uh, my co-director on the on the refugee film, and uh, he's doing a film about a boxer, which is a departure for me. But uh, I just want to help him get it out of the shop. So that's probably what I'll be doing in the near future: uh, a middleweight boxer and uh, actually champion in uh, who's living in Rhode Island. So. That's why. That's what I've got at the moment. You know. So wide-ranging interests there. Would you consider uh, another collaboration? And you know, with this uh, project you're talking about now, uh, possibly other um, communities. Uh, would you uh, consider another collaboration with an anthropologist like George or, or someone else? Yeah. Well, George is a friend, and I know that George uh, would like to go on, and he's a he's a perfect companion for something like what I've suggested because um, he, he really does the research in a way that I don't, you know. I mean, we're different. This is his field. So, yeah, if he's if he's up for it, I'd love to do that. I'd love to. And it all starts with a proposal. you got to put something together and run it by people and, uh, and, and see what happens. It's a tricky business, as I'm sure you know. But uh, I'd love to do that. So you're in Newfoundland now. Are you sticking around long, or are you heading back down south? Heading uh, south fairly soon, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd say, what's the deal here? The weather's always perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have good falls. We yeah. have fabulous falls. I guess so, yeah. I mean, look at this. Day after day after day of bright, clear weather. 
Not too hot. Not what I'd heard. Not too cold. <laughs> no, the springs are terrible. Exactly. And this is where people, you know, um, visitors especially, they say, oh, it's June month. Let's go to Newfoundland. <laughs> and the Newfoundlanders are going, really? Right. You want to be at that? <laughs> uh, right. But, uh, yeah, our, our springs do tend to drag out a bit because of that uh, Labrador current. But um, uh, the falls are lovely. Unless you get a hurricane, yeah. and we all see what happened there. Right, right. Yeah. No, I've really been enjoying this trip, and uh, look forward to future trips, too, without any ulterior motive. So you're coming back? Is that what you're saying at some point? I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. I know people here in town, and I know the people in Beta Verde, and um, it'll, it would be a pleasure to come back. So where can people yeah. see the film? When can they see it? Or where can they see it? When and where? I, yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to make it available somehow to the people in Beta Verde. I want to hold back because I'm I'm trying to get it on CBC, if it's possible, or elsewhere on uh, Canadian television or local television. And uh, I don't want to make it too widely available beforehand. Um, but that'll, you know, that will work itself out within the next few months. And then... Uh, uh, I'll probably put it online somewhere and I will let people know where it is. But at the moment, it's not available. I got gotcha. you. You know, special people with a password, you know, because I have to protect the possibility of, uh, of, a wider, of a wider showing. Ideally, a nationwide showing, that would be fabulous. Oh, wouldn't it, though? That would be yeah. great. Well, George, it's, uh, sorry, um, uh, Dennis, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. Uh, all the best now. Enjoy your time back in balmy Mexico. <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll see you soon someday. Yeah, I think so. I think you, I know you will. <laughs> Thank you, Linda, very much. I really appreciate the conversation. Dennis, I really appreciate it. Village at the end of the road, uh, hopefully to be seen on a screen near you sometime in the near future. And he'll keep us up to date on that, I'm sure. Have a great weekend.